The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Steve Joll and the Art of War Coaches. Alrighty, folks, welcome to the Art of War podcast. Uh, it's great to have you along. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is a podcast where we go through two parts in our show. We're going to run down a list, <laughs> pretty successful list this week, uh, and then we're going to impart to the show, uh, break it down in much more detail and go into the matchups that that list has faced and may face in the future and see how that all plays out. There is going to be an extra little twist in this episode as well, I guess, because we're going to have to talk about the old and the new, how it went and then how it's all going to go. My name's Steve Joel. It's great to have you along. Let's introduce our co-host, John Lennon. Welcome back from LVO. You must be fatigued. Indeed, indeed. Fortunately, we're recording on a Wednesday, so I had one extra day to uh, sleep in, rest up, and get my feet back under me. It's, it must be an amazing experience. For those of us, I know that there were thousands there, but then there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Warhammer 40k fans around the world who don't get to go to Vegas. Can you give us in a nutshell, I mean, it must be just, it's one of those, for me on the other side of the world, one of those experiences that is on the bucket list. You know, I one day hope to have enough money and time to travel there and do it and, you know, maybe ticky tour around the States at the same time. Uh, what's it like? Absolutely. So, I mean, I always love LVO because it's the largest event of the year and it's one where you get to catch up with everyone. Uh, if you've been to LVO before, if you know, you've been to a lot of tournaments in the North America scene, uh, just about every familiar face that you've met, made friends with, and played against, you're going to see them at LVO. And that's my favorite part is that it's, it's the one of the event of the year where I get to catch up with everyone. Where, uh, you know, for those watching at home or uh, for those who uh, don't live in North America and the United States, then it's a great event to come and meet, uh, you know, all of the faces that you hear about on, you know, on all the podcasts. Because just about every podcaster in the United States goes to LVO. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I saw a really, really cool post from, I think, someone at Lightly Salted Gaming talking about uh, his son being there and playing, must have been a young guy, and I think I saw a picture of him wearing the headband very similar to yours, and he was thanking you and Nick uh, for going up and having a chat to the boy because you're kind of his heroes. Uh, and that must be cool too, getting to meet you know folks who kind of look up to you guys as, as really good players and, and having the chance to catch up with them as well. Yeah, it's uh, fun and flattering all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Super cool. All right, let's let's crack on with the show. So uh, for folks who are new to The Art of War, the mission of The Art of War team is to help you get better as a player. And so there are so many layers. I actually had someone hit me up during the week and say, uh, how do you feel about coaching? How do you feel about the war room? Honestly, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, I am a client of The Art of War as well as, you know, a co-host of the show. So I've, I've got to say, if you haven't already subscribed to The Art of War, please do so, because you not only get two parts of this podcast, but you get access to things like The War Room. You can look up things like coaching and meet the guys, and you have access to the Discord, and you can ask questions of these expert players. It's a fantastic service. The most immediate benefit of it, of course, is in part one of this episode of this podcast, we are going to break down the LVO winning list. And we're going to introduce our guest. I'm sure you figured out who it is by now. Uh, we'll introduce him in just a second. So part one is breaking down the list. And there are so many layers to this list and so many different ways in which it will work and so many things that are in it that you need to hear about. And then in part two, which is only available for subscribers, 
we are going to see how that list plays into other armies and other army archetypes. This is amazing for you if you play against Admech or if you're an Admech player or you're just learning how to play Admech and you want to get better at it. All of those different things, and that's only available for subscribers. So if you haven't already, please head on over and do that. All right, with no further ado, let's introduce the guest this week. They call him many things. The goat, uh, the machine, Siegs, Richard Siegler. Congratulations on the success over the weekend. Thanks so much, Steve. Excited to be here and excited to talk about my favorite faction in the past season, the Adeptus Mechanicus. Yeah, yeah, man. So there was a lot made of, you know, the the late decision to go and then taking an army that wasn't uh, one of the sort of three or four that have been appearing in everything over the last little while. Can you just briefly explain your decision to take Admech? What led to that? So a lot of things changed in the couple of weeks before Elvio. Two new codexes were released just on the deadline. So that was the Adeptus Custodes and Gene Steeler Cult. I myself didn't get enough practice, you know, playing as those factions to be able to run them. Um, obviously, I was talking to people like John and Jack, and they were very hyped about Custodes. I have a Custodes army, but they put in the practice work. So I was always going to let them take priority, even though uh, I have my own Custodes collection, let them take the models that they needed. And what could I submit? Well, I was going to, I really wanted to submit the Silent King build. And, um, you know, just just for the memes, um, because I I really wasn't going to go, and then I submitted Admec, um, because I for whatever reason BCP kept showing up as yellow or red when I submitted a monolith with the Silent King build, and so I was like, all right, whatever, I'll just submit, copy paste my Admec list in there, and this is one that I had you know kind of refined since the you know the uh, Games Workshop New Orleans tournament where I ran a bunch of flyers, I ran uh, four flyers in that build. But I love that that Mars veteran cohort. Really like Metallica, but on the frontline gaming terrain where there's a lot of firing angles, I decided, you know, hey, why not throw down Mars? And what makes Mars so good? Well, they get access to both Doctrinas and Canticles. So they have two layers of army-wide rules. On top of that, they have some of the best shooting buffs, uh, like Wrath of Mars, into uh, a lot of the field. So submitted this. Um, like I said, no flyers in it, but uh, we can get to the list specifics in just a second. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, let's do that because you've, you've brought it up. Um, you've already mentioned that it's uh, Mars. Uh, and there are a lot of layers with Admech. I play against Admech uh, quite a lot. And even as someone who kind of is relatively familiar with it, there are still lots of things to keep in mind uh, as you're building a list and then as you're going through your game. And we'll get to the games, uh, the game play in part two. But just take us through the list, what you got there and why it's there. And, and as I said, just maybe talk us through some of the layers as we're going because... You've got relics, you've got the Army of Renown, you've got Mars, you've got Warlord traits, and you know all sorts of different stuff going on. Yeah, so baseline Mars, like I said, you get access to Canicles of the Omnissiah, which is typically only reserved for Colt Mechanicus units. Um, but if you are um, in the March Forge world, you actually get access, all the Skatari units get access to uh, the Canicles. So the best ones being you army-wide uh, count as in light cover, minus one to hit in combat, and also uh, access to plus one strength army wide. All those are great buffs. There's like five of Fino pain against mortals. It's a very it's another layer to the toolkit of Admech. So I like having access to that. On top of it, like you said, there's a, the Skatari veteran cohort. This means I cannot run any of those cult mechanicus units and only one of each tech priest if you want to. So um, so what is the veteran cohort and why do I always run it in my Admech lists? Well, 
Uh, your Rangers and Vanguard are both upgraded. They get plus one leadership, plus one attack in combat, and they get a five up in vulnerable save. This makes them actually quite durable, and you saw that in some of the uh, LVO uh, matchups. And uh, you also get access to particular buffs, like Rangers can count as in light cover if they don't do a normal move or fallback or advance. And then um, Vanguard don't count as blast and roll an additional D6 when they advance. So it's very powerful for helping them get onto and do contest objective plays for those MSU Vanguard units. Um, in addition, you get access to four stratagems. These are all reasonably powerful, plus one to wound for two core units and shooting. So Ranger Bricks can actually do quite a bit of damage. Um, in addition, there's a plus one attack stratagem, probably the best stratagem that you get access in this uh, veteran cohort. And you use that on Rust Stalkers. Rust Stalkers inbuilt have a lot of attacks. And with the Codex strat plus this veteran cohort strat, they can pump out so much damage uh, with the volume of attacks. Um, and they don't care about minus one damage. It's just million, you know, tons and tons of uh, one damage attacks with some mortal wounds. So love that for them. Advance and charge, another big deal for Rust Stalkers. Sometimes your troops as well. So you can, the speed of the list is dramatically increased, the speed of Admech when you run this veteran cohort. So huge fan of it. It lets you make plays. And that is a big part of this list. Uh, and finally, the veteran cohort is about the Canic Thrallnet, which is just an amazing relic, which we can talk about in a second when we go through those. So what else is in here? Well, I've got my uh, standard HQs. A marshal has to be the warlord in the veteran cohort. And he has the Canic Thrallnet and the Warlord trait from the Veteran Cohort Calculate Without Diversion. This is meant to reduce the CP cost uh, when you're in a particular army-wide Doctrina. It's just helpful because you're typically in Admech starting at like 5, 6 CP because you spend a lot pregame. Being able to reduce stratagem cost is massive uh, because it helps with that CP discipline of being able to make late-game plays. So huge fan of that. I got the... the uh, Tech Priest Engine Seer in here, you'll see why he gives out plus one to hit to a vehicle, and you could use the strat to do it on two vehicles, um, and he's got Magi here. This gives you plus two to your advances, and you can upgrade the protocol so that you get sixes to hit in shooting or additional hits. Um, that can work in Overwatch as well, so uh, big fan of the extra damage that can help uh, Rangers do. Then I've got a second Marshal here. He has Exemplar's Eternity, a relic to let you reroll hits of one, and in addition to his baseline reroll ones to wound. So he's both a captain and a lieutenant for 55 points. Very reasonable. He has the warlord trait for uh, fall back and shoot, and this is going to help those Qatari rangers be able to act even if they get tagged in combat. And then finally, the tech priest Manipulus. He has a Lajai. This allows one uh, of my core units to ignore AP 1 and 2. That's shooting and combat. Extremely powerful rule, especially when combined with the Thrallnet and some of the army-wide abilities. And then he also has the Relic to ignore all hit and ballistic skill modifiers for a unit and get a 5 of Funeral Pain. So very powerful on those Rangers. They have a heavy weapon, and being able to ignore that heavy penalty is very nice. In addition, dense cover is pretty common at frontline terrain, so wanted this Relic to make sure that one unit could always get the maximum buffs and do as much damage as possible. Then I got a big brick of Skatari Rangers. It's a 19 man. The reason it's not 20 is because one of the veteran cohort strats for 5 up Fiona Pain is based on um, every 10 models increases the power level of the unit uh, for the veterans. And so if I ran 20, this would be a 10 power level unit and it would cost 3 CP for that strat. Instead, because it's a 19 man, it's only 9 power level, which means it's 2 CP. And in the turn of plus 1 save army wide, I can make it 1 CP once per game. So um, a very powerful combo there. That's why I run 19-man. They also get access to the, the Skatari trait, 
for um, plus one, count as in cover, and then if you're in terrain, you get an additional plus one to your saving throw, which means I could throw ignore AP one and two and plus one save on one ranger unit and throw the fire point telemetry cache on the second one, so both are actually quite difficult to uh, to kill in shooting. Second unit of rangers, exactly the same, uh, except it doesn't have the warlord trait. Two five-man vanguard units, like I said, able to roll that additional D6 on their advances and get onto middle objectives as needed, or hold down my backfield very cheaply. Five Sakarian infiltrators, if you saw any of the finals games, they were just teleporting around the board uh, with that one CP strat to go back into reserve and do uh, retrieve Octarius for me. So they were a very critical part. They could also forward deploy on some of the missions with sticky objectives and give me a nice little advantage there. Um, and then here comes the crux of the army. 10 Sakaran Rush Stalkers with the Fight Last Relic. It's the Temper Copia, uh, followed by 8 Rush Stalkers with the Relic for the Omniscient Mask. That's 6 to hit in a 6-inch aura are additional hits, uh, and that's a combat one. So could have that both in shooting and combat between Magi and the Omniscient Mask. Uh, then five, then uh, 8 more Rush Stalkers. 3 Solo Iron Striders with twin Cognus Laz Cannons. That's that flat 3 plus D3 damage. Uh, two Scorpius Disintegrators, uh, both with the indirect fire cannon, the Belarus Energy Cannon. And that's the list, starting with 6 CP. Yeah, that is, that's just brutal, all of that. Thank you for taking us all the way through that in such great detail as well. You're welcome. Uh, there's so much to this, so many different layers. As you said, one of the, the big things in playing against this list is that you see, <laughs> you know, you see that big brick of rangers and you... You think they're tiny little things. They're tiny little things. Those ranges. I'll be able to chew through those with the uh, the shooting I have, and then they just don't die. And you're trying to even trying to whittle it down to sort of eight, nine, ten guys, so you don't have so much to worry about. Is harder than you think it's going to be. And by the time you've shot everything at that, you've got nothing left to kind of deal with anything else in your army. There, there are so many threats. So with, with the thinking behind putting the list together, looking at it from the outside, it seems just like. Threat overload, you've got so much obsec, which I'm trying to get rid of, but then you've also got the Lay's chickens and you've got, you know, your um, your infiltrators and your rust stalkers. Everything's kind of either scoring points or coming to kill me, and it just, it's hard to know what to get first. Yeah, if you think of some of the best armies in the game right now, you know, Tyranids, Crusher Stampede, um, the Forces of the High Mind build, you got Adeptus Custodes, um, you've got things like Grey Knights, all of them can do a lot of um, a bunch of things. They're both good in shooting. They're good in melee. Um, they got a lot of different tricks. They got mobility. This list tries to replicate that as much as possible, being able to do um, a bit of everything. Um, it doesn't have much psychic defense, but um, like I said, that one canicle can help out and the five of Funo Pain strat on a unit. So overall, I tried to build as balanced as possible because Admech at the end of the day is an army where you want your opponent to have to commit overcommit to kill a single one of your resources, and then you get to respond with your other ones. Admech, um, before the points nerfs, was one of the best trading armies in the game because everything was relatively cheap compared to how much damage it could put out, especially in the veteran cohort. Now with those points increases, they're a bit less efficient, but they're still pretty... They're, even though their defense isn't that great, their offense is so good um, that you're willing to make that trade. And this is kind of similar to the old Eldar philosophy, where they have a lot of specialist units that do a particular role really well. Admech is similar in that the Rustalkers are just one of the best combat units in the game, even with the points increase. And um, when you think of Admech traditionally, it seems mostly like a shooting army. And you see all the Iron Striders, you see the Belarus Energy Cannons, you see the Rangers, and you're like, all right, I need to get in there. I need to start tagging things, wrapping things, shutting down the shooting. This list is secretly a melee list. 
um, because the Rust Stalkers are the key unit, in my opinion. They're they're the things that's going to win the games. So um, them and the Rangers. And I want my opponent to commit to the middle of the table to set up those plays to try and tag my shooting so that I get to be the one who initiates the combats with the Rust Stalkers, with advance and charge plays, with the plus two attacks. Um, that's kind of how this list is designed. Kind of bait my opponent into playing more aggressive against me. And if they're not aware of how much damage this army puts out, they are going to get uh, absolutely tabled in the middle, you know, if they put themselves out in the middle. So it kind of lures you in with all these guns, thinking it's just a shooting army, and then it hits you with some of the most vicious combat in the game. Yeah, vicious combat that can make you fight last is also uh, yes. pretty nasty. <laughs> um, sorry, John, go ahead. I've got I've got questions, but John's question is going to be much more uh, high level than mine. So what, what do you got? Oh, man, I wish it was high level. Um, I actually kind of wanted to just talk to uh, Richard a little bit about the evolution of this list. Yeah, uh, We've seen you go through quite a few successful um, archetypes with Admech. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. you've been on quite a tear with the Codex ever since it came out. Um, we had the, the recent points changes. A lot of people kind of wrote the army off. Uh, I kind of wanted to talk to you about the things that got added to the list after the points changes. Yeah. So you had Rust Stalkers before they went up in points. You think they're still great? Awesome. Yeah. Can't it's hard to disagree with you, frankly. <laughs> Rangers, exact same boat. Uh, I actually wanted to talk to you just a little bit about the uh, the tanks. Yeah. Um, you haven't always put in Ballastari, and especially I don't think I've seen you bring a Scorpius tank to a, uh, a tournament yet. So I kind of wanted to ask, you know, what was your philosophy, what was your mindset on why you included the Scorpius specifically, and also, you know, the Ballastari, because those aren't always going to be a mainstay on your list. Yeah, so the meta has really shifted um, you know, in that fall uh, type of, you know, the fall part of the ITC season, there was a lot of other MSU armies out there. The Sisters of Battle was a very prominent faction at the time. You had like White Scars um, and you know, Blood Angels floating around. You had a lot of trading armies. They send out one piece, you know, five Vanguard vets here. They pick up a unit, control the objective, and they're willing to die in return. And Admech played that style extremely efficiently because the units were cheaper and even though they traded defense for increased offense. So I was perfectly happy playing that. You didn't need Scorpius tanks. You didn't need Iron Striders, um, even though you could run them. It was, I also played on Games Workshop terrain where firing angles are um, significantly decreased. And so having more melee trading pieces um, was much more efficient. Now, going into frontline terrain, like I mentioned, there's increased firing angles. And on top of that, the meta has shifted such that you have a lot of durable armies now, Crusher Stampede being a huge one. Five of Binvol, minus one damage. You also have Adeptus Custodes with transhuman access all over the place, four Binvols everywhere, uh, multi-wound models. So how does how do you chew through all of that? And how do you get that stuff to commit to the middle of the table? Well, uh, Rustockers can't handle all, an entire army by themselves, um, You know, no matter how much uh, Jack might think. So what do you need? Well, Iron Striders, Cognus Las Cannons are one of the best profiles for dealing with that type of stuff. You need something to encourage these big monsters to have to fly across the table towards the rest of your army so you could counter assault while putting all your guns downrange. And Iron Striders are the best thing. There's been, since they've come out, even though they lost core, uh, which was a lot of the buffs they benefited from, um, there's still like a fear overall in the meta that Iron Strider Ballastari are one of like the gold standards of anti-tank. And in the games I've run them, like Las Vegas teams and even LVO itself, outside of the one turn where they reroll a hit, wound, and damage roll, they just aren't that consistent. Um, some turns, they basically do nothing. There was one turn where I rolled almost all ones and twos uh, to wound on my Iron Striders. And if they were still core, I would have got the martial buff there to reroll ones to wound. 
So because they're inconsistent, it more it was more the threat of him. And that's why I only took solo mans, because they benefit most, the most from the Mars reroll. And I could actually put them on different flanks, uh, let them screen out my backfield at the same time as putting last cannons downrange. So I think primarily they're here for the Crusher Stampede build. And if that build didn't exist, uh, I could see trading them out for other things. But the fear of it means the Crusher Stampede build can't just sit in its deployment zone and use the Hive Guard to whittle you down. They have to actually send the monsters because they are going to get shot up. So I thought that was a, a big deal for adding them. Now for the Bellers Energy Cannons, I mentioned the unit. It's called Hive Guard. It's the best indirect. It's the best shooting unit in the game, and it's the best indirect platform. Uh, it's abs. It's the biggest thing that Admech fears in the entire meta, in my opinion. Um, so. Why is it so powerful? Well, it's all multi-damage. If they bring the Malceptor, you're re-rolling damage there. They ignore cover, and cover is a big bonus that Admech relies on for uh, keeping its models alive. And on top of that is Strength 8, so it's wounding a lot of the army on twos, um, which means it's okay that they don't re-roll wounds. So overall, I needed some tool to deal with Hiveguard, or at least force them to spend the 2 CP on the Malceptor strat, uh, because 2 CP in a Tyranid list, is it could be almost any different strat that's amazing. So getting them to spend CP and then shooting into the Devil Gaunts was, in my mind, what I wanted to do with the Bellers Energy Cannons. Is just the threat of I could whittle down the Hive Guard here, maybe kill two between the two of the tanks, because uh, they they aren't even that efficient into doing it. But at least if they could force some CP and um, make my opponent deploy more defensive, they're actually a useful tool. The other guns are okay, and throughout the tournament they underperformed consistently, even with the Engine Seer buff for plus one to hit. Honestly, just dropping that entire package and adding extra infiltrators and going back to my older style, I would have done better in the closer games that I played, uh, in my personal opinion. But I put them in there specifically because Hiveguard are an absolute problem for Admech. Yeah, and this man wins LVO and talks about how he can just make his list better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking earlier how frustrating it must be to players who pour over their list for months and months and then Richard just copies and pastes his list and goes and wins LVO with it. That's That's... Don't drop that kind of line in there, Mr. Siegler. <laughs> those uh, disintegrators, the Scorpius disintegrators, I was going to bring those up as well. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. He's one of the top players over this side of the world who plays Admech. And we did an episode uh, on Admech not very long ago, and we were talking about the Onager Dune Crawlers. Had a game yesterday against the Onager Dune, uh, Dune Crawlers, and uh, playing against Admech, I find the disintegrators much more scary just because with that no line of sight shooting. The fact that I can't hide behind a wall and just stay the hell away from it and just kind of slowly feed things up and get stranglehold, slowly feed things up and wipe a unit and, and kind of, you know, maneuver around the table. The disintegrators are forcing movement from me as your opponent as well. Um, so into other games, how important were those disintegrators for you? Or are you happy to just drop them and not worry about it? I will 100% drop them uh, along with the engine seer. And I'll give you some examples. You would think... Well, let me set up a situation for you. Anthony Vanilla has five racks sitting on an objective. These, just five racks, they have a six-up invuln, minus one damage, so will only be one, and they'll get five of Fino Pains. Cool. Over the course of when I put both Scorpius tanks finally into them, because I cleared a lot of the stuff on the front lines, guess how many racks I killed with the two <laughs> Scorpius tanks? <laughs> one. One rack. Wow. Okay. Would love to have given him a five on primary there. Didn't do it. Let me give you another example. He's playing against Evan uh, Tomchin in the semifinals. He's got five Sisters of Silence just hanging out in his backfield. I go ahead and pop the plus one to hit on both of the um, Scorpius tanks. Put him in there. Um, 
they pretty much hit with all of them. You have that free Mars reroll there when you need it. And then on Wounding, they went down from strength six to strength five, which is a massive deal because there's a lot of T3 in the meta right now. And I rolled six twos to wound against the Sisters of Silence, keeping that unit alive and giving it. That was the turn where I was trying to give them the five on primary um, without committing too much forward into the middle and just didn't pan out there. And that kept that game extremely tight. So the times where I relied on it, hey, I'm going to give my opponent a five here with these two indirect tanks. They just never did it. And the other shots were fine, but just mostly didn't do much. Um, and it's it's not cheap. They're 145 points each, plus the Engine Seer, um, who's base 55, and then you can pay for the upgrades. I just, I was very underwhelmed almost every single time uh, by the Scorpius tanks, in my opinion. Maybe it's only against me then, because those suckers wipe out my two wounds. They used to be amazing, because they benefit from every rule that Admech had, but uh, without having right. core, you know, they, they really do work best in Mars, but even then, I just haven't been that impressed with them. Uh, let's talk about the CP. You've got six CP. You mentioned that uh, there are some strats that you like to use. Oh, yeah. Um, talk us through talk us through the most useful strats. Uh, because, again, with Admech, there's a there's a difference. There are kind of three tiers. You've got your army-wide. I love the way you did this for your opponents as well during the LVO to make it clear. You've got your army-wide buffs, and then you've got your... Uh, the one's called canticles, one's called something else, and then you've got strats you can use. And I don't know which one the 3D6 charge is, for example, but it's there's all sorts of uh, different layers you can kind of play there. Yeah, so there's multiple layers, and you, you saw me use the cards. So at the army-wide level, there's Doctrinas, which could be plus three-inch move. It could be plus one armor save. Um, it could be um, plus one weapon skill, plus one ballistic skill, any of those. And then you have Canicles, which I mentioned a couple of them. They're a bit more situational, in my opinion, less powerful, but still can double down on what you're trying to do that turn. So your ar entire army gets both of those. Then, on top of that, you have a ton of command phase abilities. And those can be like the Ignore AP 1 and 2. The Thrallnet lets you pick any of the Doctrinas and uh, go ahead and place that on a unit, even if it's been chosen army-wide already. So turn after turn, you could do plus 1 weapon skill on a Rustalker unit, or plus 1 ballistic skill on the Rangers, or plus 3-inch move when you need it to move 9 instead of three inches, uh, instead of 6 inches. You could use it for, I'm just going to sit in plus 1 save here on this unit, ignoring AP 1 and 2, and they're going to be in cover, so taking two ups against all the AP 1 and 2 uh, shots out there. So there's a lot of... The Canic Thrallnet is the main reason that you run the, the Skatari Veteran Cohort, that in Advanced and Charge Access. Um, and I think that Relic is one of the best in the game, in my opinion. It's just so flexible. It, it transforms the army so that the main damage dealer that you want to use that turn is at operating at maximum efficiency every single time. Whether you want to just keep it alive, whether you want to do max um, combat damage... Uh, maximum shooting damage, whatever it is, the Thrallnet is what is going to help there. And so um, there's other ones like Firepoint Telemetry Cache, like I mentioned. So I place those on the units that benefit from them. Typically, I'm putting out one unit with a lot of the buffs, but occasionally I'll split them if I'm trying to do multiple things and I don't need max damage in those situations. And uh, so let's get to the um, the 6CP and the strats you're likely yeah. to use. Are, are there stratagems you're using every single turn or is it really situational. Most books have one or two or three that are just so good you're using them a lot. Admech does have those strats, but it also has a lot of flex options. So the ones that I consistently use almost every single time are the two strats to add plus one attack to the Rustalker units. That's going to happen at some point, generally, unless my opponent uh, just has kind of basic MSU you know, type of deal, then I don't need to use them. But against anything tough out there, I'm always 
spending CP to add an extra attack to the Rust Stalkers, probably giving them a plus one weapon skill with the Thrall Net um, or plus one strength with the Stratagem. That's a very common one as well. Any Skatari unit, one CP plus one strength. So with Canicles, you can get a Rust Stalker unit up to strength seven, which is very good against things like Dreadnoughts. And I use that combo in the in the finals. So um, I really like those strats. So pluses both the Veteran Cohort and the Codex strat to add plus one attack to your Sakaran units. And then I really like access to that plus one strength. In addition, there's a one CP auto pass morale on an objective. If it, you're wholly within range of the objective, um, they had nerfed it from the codex, but it's still very good. And it's only once per game. But between that and the two CP auto pass, you can make sure those rangers stay alive when you really need to, really need them to on the objective. Um, other ones that you're going to see the two Colt Mechanicus characters, the Manipulus and the Engine Seer. They have access to a one CP fight last um, stratagem. So if they get in combat, um, they could make something fight last, which means you could potentially send the character in, send the Tempercopia Rust Stalker unit in, and then uh, make both those units fight last, and activates a third unit somewhere else. So activate there first, and then you go down the line against the fight last units. So it really allows you to operate however you want to and prioritize whichever targets you want. Um, those are great strats. Um, typically I don't use the plus one to wound strat, but I did it a couple times in the early part of the tournament and regarded it every single time because I massively overkilled the target. So <laughs> after the first, you know, like four rounds, I was like, all right, I don't need to do this. So I'm just going to spend the two CP galvanic fire strat, which increases my Rangers gun from heavy two to heavy three amazing strat. And it's often comboed with the wrath of Mars, which is one CP, uh, for the Ranger brick. Uh, sixes to wound or mortals, in a, in addition to normal damage and capped at six. So for the shooting buffs, those are the two I typically use in terms of stratagems. And then for melee, like I said, I typically use the plus one strength or the two uh, plus one attack ones. And then the last one that I'd mentioned that I use pretty consistently, especially in the later rounds, was I started taking retrieve Octarius because banners. I knew I was playing against a lot of aggressive players. Didn't want to take banners. Um, didn't want to get a poor score on that. And a lot of the missions didn't allow you to just sit on three objectives. And even on Overrun, where I could, I played against Anthony Vanilla's very aggressive Drukhari. So needed a different secondary there. Well, Retrieve Octarius. I got the two five-man vanguards. They do it on my half of the board. How do I get to my opponent's half of the board? Well, I don't have as much you know cheap MSU type of stuff like I used to. I only have the one infiltrator squad, but that is its role. So it's going to spend the one CP strat to go back into reserve if it's within nine inches of the board edge. And then it's going to come down, do that. And if my opponent doesn't have the resources to commit to kill it, I'll then one CP do it again and go into their other quarter. And that happened in the semifinals against Evan. Went into his back quarter. He only had a couple guns to spare to shoot back there. He killed two of the infiltrators, and then they did it the next turn in the other quarter. So um, they went back up in reserve in the final turn. They came down and finished it off. So I love that strat. Um, I would like to have Taraxi in this list. And if I dropped an Iron Strider unit, I could uh, potentially get it in there. And they natively deep strike. They can do it on turn three for you. And then the the infiltrators can go up into reserve and do it uh, turn four or five. So I think that combo will be the better one going forward, especially with retrieve Nackman data and the changes to the mission secondaries. Yeah, and we can we can touch on that in a second, actually, just that, you know, what looking forward and, and having reviewed the missions and, you know, the new the new books and the new points and everything, uh, you know, how you'll make changes. It's interesting, though, that one particularly, I've seen a lot of people 
forget that you can do it more than once. People will very often spend ACP and they do it with, uh, you know, there are other infiltrator type units that can do a similar thing. Spend a CP, get a unit off the board, you can bring it back later. And people kind of take it off the board and then wait till turn four or five and bring it back and do it once. But you're able to do it or you're advising even, do it more than once, you know, use that unit for a CP, bounce it off, bring it back, do it again. Yeah, typically I would do, so turn one, Vanguard unit does it, turn two, Vanguard unit does it. And that turn, turn two, I spend the one CP to bring the infiltrators up into reserve. So that turn three, they come down and then they do it. And then they have to sit there for a turn. Turn four, I pop the strat off again, finish it off turn five. So I was yeah. able to end up doing that in both the semis and the finals. So I saved then, CP intentionally for that. Pretty much the one CP I generated that turn, that's what I was going to use it on. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, you know, spending CP to get points. I it's need those gonna... points. Yeah, that's a, it's a huge yeah. point. Uh, and so how, how much of a difference is retrieve Nackman data going to make? I feel like this is one of the ones, sorry, I cut you off there, John, but just, uh, just to touch on while we're doing that, the, you mentioned it already, retrieve Octarius data. I can have my two man veteran squad do that. Uh, I can, you know, there's the Necron unit, the little two man Necron unit. These things are going to be almost obsolete now going forward because you need a five man unit to do this stuff. Uh, Things like the infiltrators, are they going to be important now looking at retrieve Nackman data, or do you just go, I'm not going to worry about that? Uh, I think you absolutely have to worry about it because there's no more mission secondaries. And so you can't rely on something like sweeping clear priority target where there's an automatic third secondary for you. Now in list design, you actually have to have that third secondary built in. You can't rely on the missions that you're going to play. So in that case, I really do. You're still going to run two five-man troop units to do it on your half of the board, and they do it automatically. Um, for if I do it on five infiltrators, because you subtract one from the roll, you could fail it uh, because they're not troops. So I think you would go to a six-man infiltrator unit or six-man Taraxi, and I think I will absolutely build that in because I like I like that secondary. Even though investigate signals is much improved, I feel like it's a trap secondary because of how your opponent can move block the center and prevent it, and it telegraphs exactly what you need to do each turn. I like the flexibility of pulling my opponent to force them to screen, which often puts them in firing angles uh, and firing lanes and um, and keeps units away from the middle. I don't like when my opponent puts their entire army in front of me like Anthony Vanella did. And it's like, how much are you going to kill? Because if you don't kill a lot, I'm going to hit you. So in that case, I, uh, I want to pull them apart, have them think about screening the entire game. And I think that's a very powerful tool for Admech. Right. Sorry, John, I cut you off. You obviously had a question. Yeah, absolutely. I actually wanted to take a, a little bit and dive deeper into the uh, the canticles and Doctrina. Mm -hmm. um, for the budding Admech player, or perhaps people who are inspired to buy all the Admech lots that were on eBay until you went LVO, mm -hmm. um, what uh, what do you find yourself as like your basic guideline on how you actually use uh, the Doctrina? Because um, I, you know, I maybe take it for granted because I play into your Admech uh, more than anyone else's. But uh, every once in a while, I pair into an Admech player at a tournament. And they use them in a completely different way, and I'm like, huh, Richard. Richard does this a little, you know, a little different, perhaps even a little better. Uh, what's your thought process on when you're willing to pop a doctrina, and how does it change when you're going first or second? Yeah. So overall, um, and I did this quite a few times at the tournament, is I just don't even do anything turn one. Typically, my turn one is I'm going to send five vanguard out onto a middle objective, get me my stranglehold. And I'm going to set up for the next turn. I'm either taking up a position where I get a good firing angle, or maybe there's only one thing in my opponent's army I could shoot, so I'm just going to angle so I can do the damage there. And that's it. I'm going to do the bare minimum on turn one, and I'm going to play a four-turn game here with the Admech. And the four-turn game means that I can line up the Doctrinas to exactly what I need them to do. Typically, 
I like, unless my opponent puts his old army out there, that's when I'm going to spend the plus one um, ballistic skill and do the reroll hit wounded damage roll. If they just go here, here's my army in the middle of the table. And I did this against Anthony. I was like, all right, plus one to hit, reroll hit wounded damage roll. We're going to go for max damage here. And the follow-up turn typically to that is going to be plus one weapon skill, plus one strength army-wide uh, with the Doctrina and Canical. So that the Rust Stalkers, which are going to get involved in the following turn, are going to be fully buffed um, and able to do the, the maximum amount of damage. Um, late game, I really like the roll an additional roll for your advances, which means Vanguard units roll three dice um, and, and pick one of those. And then you also roll an additional one of your charges. So it's very, very powerful um, when you were trying to get on those objectives late game with your charge moves, say you saw me use my big ranger bricks after they did the shooting damage that they could, I needed them to get their obsec bodies onto objectives. And that's a very powerful plus three inch move followed by rolling an additional one on your advances and charges. So I typically, those are the three combos that I use, um, the most often and the other ones are flex choices, but those are the three combos that I typically go with, um, in my games. Can I ask about terrain? You've mentioned it a couple of times, frontline terrain versus G-dub terrain. How much does the list design change for you if you're going to, I mean, uh, I know maybe in the States and, and the events you're going to more than other folks around the world, uh, for people who are not going to a lot of tournaments where you can do player place terrain, if terrain is just fixed and it's going to be usual, maybe G-dub level, maybe a little more, a little less, whatever it might be, how much does that change the build for you? It changes massively, in my opinion, because um, with Frontline, um, you're able to create firing angles. And on top of that, you're able to place terrain pieces near the objective. Um, so, for instance, and you'll see this in a lot of the games I played towards the end uh, when I was on stream, is I would place you know the small cargo containers, a forest, whatever it is near the objectives that my opponent would typically put a ruin near so that they could hide units out of line of sight on them and just control those objectives turn after turn. I was instead placing, um, you know, nonsense pieces of terrain out there so that objectives would be out in the open. Um, and that was because every turn I get to shoot downfield onto one objective, kill them off of that with my guns and set up charges onto the objectives that would be out of line of sight. So that meant both in, in a single turn, I could potentially take them off two different objectives. Um, with my shooting on the one hand and then the combat on the other hand. And I tried to create this situation in almost every single game where I could do pl a play like that, where guns go one way, combat goes the other way, and I win both of those and take them down on primary while controlling my own half of the board. So terrain is massive there. Player place terrain lets you do that. And Mars is particularly powerful because it buffs your guns and your combat. Now, in the case where your guns aren't quite as efficient because the terrain density is very high, like Games Workshop terrain, where there's only a couple, there's one narrow firing angle down the center of the table, and then there's two narrow ones down the sides of the table, that you're not getting your maximum guns every single time. Whatever's out in those firing angles is exactly what your opponent expects to die or take a lot of damage. And in that case, I much prefer adding the extra melee units in there so that I could do more trading plays starting turn one with potential advances and charges and uh, move blocking plays. So I think uh, reducing my opponent's mobility, preventing them from touching objectives, and contesting their objectives on their side of the table, I think that's much stronger on denser terrain, and I think Metallica does that much better. Um, so I think terrain really depend makes you go in a certain direction on your forge world choice. It's been a little bit of love for, uh, speaking of forge world choice, this is something that gets discussed a little bit, and again, 
you know, different people have different ways that they're going to play and maybe different forge worlds that they're going to choose because of their preference, whether they want a gun line or combat or whatever. Uh, there's been a little, little bit of love for Lucius as well because, uh, you know, maybe punchy bots can teleport and do some damage. Uh, how do you feel about that as a as a build type or an archetype or a design type for Edme? Well, so a, a massive change just happened in Chapter Approved, and that is you can only run one sub-faction. And for the longest time, the most popular combo was, in fact, Lucius tied with Mars. So you can't run the veteran cohort if you mix Forge Worlds. So I've always run a single Forge World, whether it be Metallica or Mars. Um, but in the case of traditional lists, it was Lucius allied with Mars. You get the defense of Lucius for your obsec and your bodies, um, and then you bring a very efficient guns with the Mars detachment. And this list no longer exists. And pure Lucius, kind of, it has very good tools, but at the same time, it doesn't really do any combat buffs, whereas Mars does both shooting and combat buffs. And that's why I think you'll see Mars the most now with single sub-faction, in my opinion. Right. Um, I want to bounce back to CP as well. Um, I'm, we could have covered this earlier, and sorry, that's my bad. But just on the subject of CP that we were talking about and the strats that you're going to use, I've been involved in a couple of games, not necessarily with Admic, but uh, certainly one, where players just ran out of CP, like trying to trying to do alpha strike shenanigans and loading up CP and like really buffing as many units as possible and then just ran out. And so at the end, you've got a unit of rust stalkers who could be doing a lot of damage, but just aren't because they have no CP. How important is managing those CP through through games for anyone, not just for this army, but if you've only got six, I guess it's super important. It's one of the most important factors determining success. Um, if you are at a CP by turn three, you're going to have a really hard time getting the maximum efficiency out of each of your units. And in the early part of the games, like knocking off the rust that I had, I was spending CP uh, not as efficiently as I should have been. Like I said, I was using the plus one to wound strat and very quickly found out that that was a complete waste of CP. So instead, I was very careful, especially in those final couple rounds where I basically put very few CP into shooting buffs whatsoever and put all the CP into the rust stalkers. Uh, because they're the most consistent damage dealer, in my opinion, and they don't have as many swings as some of the shooting does. So I saved, intentionally saved, so that I could have um, two CP each turn I wanted to commit Rust Stalkers. You saw this against Evan. I only used, the only CP I used was the pluses to attack and that CP to bring the unit up from reserve and come back down. So I was like, all right, custodians are super tough. They can turn off rerolls, can transhuman, do all this stuff. I'm not even, if the shooting does damage, it's amazing. It, it'll probably do some damage, but I'm not going to overwhelmingly put my CP that way because the Rust Stalker is the most consistent thing I have into uh, these custodies, these very durable custodies units. So I had to be careful then, or I had to make that decision going into the game, how I would spend my CP. Because if I tried to change halfway through, my I just have a mess of a game plan. Uh, sorry, one more for me. Um, and I don't know, John, if you've got any more after that, but uh, one more thing. Uh, I heard Manny Chima uh, talking a few weeks ago about an, an army having a play for three turns. And so, for example, the army I play is great for three turns. And it's actually enormously helpful if you understand that. Like, you've got three turns. The other two turns, you need to be either hiding or positioning or moving or getting into places but not committing so that when your three turns, whether it's two, three, four, or three, four, five, whatever, um, if you've got an army that plays for three turns, understanding that is really important. So... Is this Admech army a five-turn army, or are you uh, are you conserving one and playing for four? I saw a couple of games, for example, and you've already mentioned it, where you didn't even bother doing Doctrinas or Canticles for first turn because you're not doing anything. Yeah, I think the the thing is Admech 
because you have less resources than you had previously, you can't just waste turns throwing things away for no reason um, when they don't have their maximum uh, buffs on them. So instead, I typically try and do the bare minimum turn one unless my opponent actually steps out and is going to try and overwhelm me. In that case, then yes, I absolutely need to um, you know, activate that turn. So, But in that case, usually I'm not playing turn five because the game's over at that point, or academic at least. So I typically this list plays four turns. It's going to be extremely efficient for four turns. And if my opponent, it de- really depends on my opponent which turns those are. If they're going to go ahead and step out turn one and just be in the middle of the table and force me to react, then I'm going to have to do it early. And hopefully I don't have to play turn five uh, because I'm going to start running low on stuff. But if they uh, are want to play that patient waiting game, perfectly fine with that because I'm going to play the next four turns with absolute precision. Yeah, nice. Well, other than uh, you know what goes out, what comes in, John, I'm 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 pretty done here. What do you got? Yeah, I actually had a few more questions about some of the units in the list. Um, I actually wanted to talk now about uh, something that uh, I've seen a lot from Richard that I did not see in this list, and that would be uh, the wonderful oval base move blockers that you uh, that you used mm. to spam. Um, you you don't have any service raiders in this list, and you talked about how you're potentially interested in cutting some of the range support because it felt underwhelming for you. I'm curious, are Cerberus Raiders or their, uh, you know, the Sulphur Hounds making a comeback in the list at all? God, I miss the Sulphur, the uh, Cerberus Raiders, John. <laughs> I miss them so much. The move blocking. So my thinking going in, why I didn't use them is, like I said, I wanted enough guns that uh, those big scary lists would have to commit into the middle, and then I get to kind of dictate the terms of those engagements. But man, are Rust are uh, Cerberus Raiders just so good because. They go up on player place terrain. You can create those situations where there's like a forest or, you know, you know, not a lot of terrain near the center objective. And so you can surround it with your Severus Raiders. Your opponent wants to get on it. They want to get Stranglehold, which is a very common secondary. And you're like, cool. Uh, do you want to shoot this unit off? And if you do, then you just, you haven't got on the objective unless you have some sort of fire and fade play. But even then, you'd have to kill the whole unit to get on there because I'm not taking the first models. And, or are you going to declare a charge? In which case, I'm going to move 12 inches away and you can't declare them again. Because uh, they're t- more than twelve away, so Severus Raiders are just a fundamental way of how Admec delays the game and allows them to play the later turns with minimum resources, uh, uh, minimum casualties taken. Um, I really miss their speed as well in the fact that they can get onto my opponent's half of the board early and deny things like banners. They could try and potentially snipe out characters. They can contest objectives. Um, they can move block plays where my opponent wanted to get at a certain angle to shoot something downrange, and now they can't because Cerberus Raiders are in their face. All of that is amazing. I missed all of that. Um, I don't think Mars does it as well as Metallica does, and that was why I was willing to um, cut them from the list. But they just offer such a different dimension to Admech that I feel they're still essential. Now, you don't have to run the multiple nine-mans like I had been because they are very pricey now at 20 points a model, but running even just a five-man to think, you know, force your opponent to think about the tricks you can do. I think that is a very valuable tool still for Admech. So I really did miss them here. Sulfur Hounds are very interesting because in veteran cohort, once again, they are extremely dangerous with the amount of plus one to wound, Wrath of Mars, all that. But I didn't want to spend CP on this. And that's the ultimate reason I didn't go with Cerberus Raiders is you need to uh, save CP to do um, the tactical oblique strat to move away in the charge phase. And instead, I felt like this meta dictated that I needed to use more of my CP for damage. And that ended up holding true at LVO. I really did need to spend it, whether that was shooting or combat damage. And so I felt like I just didn't have the extra CP to do tricks with. And that's why I ultimately caught them, but man, did I miss them. The other one question, because you brought it up a couple of times, Metallica. What does Metallica give you that uh, makes it 
so great if you're playing on uh, fixed terrain or heavier terrain. Metallica is the ultimate debuff army. So instead of trying to buff your units to the max, you actually try and debuff your opponent's units to the max. And so that's a six inch aura of minus one toughness that works on anything, knights, whatever it is. It's awesome. Unlike the Vanguard, which only work on uh, non uh, vehicles. And um, you also get access to a three inch relic that is reroll wounds against the target. So your opponent comes in the middle of the table and you're like, awesome. Uh, go ahead and reroll wounds against all this stuff. And I'm going to go ahead and do minus one toughness. And um, that is just an amazing amount of damage. You imagine Rust Stalkers with reroll wounds. Uh, it, it's insane. So I love that combo. In addition, they have multiple ways um, to do things like I'm going to spend one CP, I'm going to have this the unit of this opponent's um, army. And turn off Overwatch. That's one CP. Just a great stratagem to have access to. They have a one CP flat six advanced strat. So you can, with one CP, just get your Rust Stalkers in an advance and charge play right across the map. And there's no questions about you rolling poorly on your advance roll. Um, so the consistency plays, the debuffs that Metallica bring, um, it's, a, it's a whole package. But once again, it's really CP reliant. And so CP discipline is massive there. And they don't do shooting buffs as well. And like I said, I felt that shooting buffs were more necessary in this particular meta and on this terrain. So looking forward now with the new missions that we've got, um, do you think that Mars is the way forward? Metallica is the way forward? It might depend. Might, I mean, this is obviously more complex than just this or that. Mm -hmm. I think or is it, it? I think it's it just this or that. Yeah, I think it primarily depends on the terrain, frankly. Uh, the more terrain that's on the board, the better the melee units are. And I think Metallica buffs the melee units better. Um, that's my personal opinion, but the less guns that you have to run, the less need there is for Mars, because the melee buffs you get from uh, Metallica, in my opinion, are much stronger. Okay, so it's all down to the terrain, and if you know what the terrain's going to be like at the tournament yep. you're going to, you can make your decision exactly. based on that. Yeah, And and I guess build list, <laughs> they will have a few more CP left over for your Metallica build that you can maybe it's do. It's just so hard. Admech has so many good Warlord trades, Relics, Stratagems, it's just tough. Can't uh, have it all. <laughs> no matter how much I want to. <laughs> I played Space Wolves, believe me. I know. I'm down to 6 CP at the start of every game as well. So, uh, all right. I think we're done on part one. John, is that fair to say? Or have you got more things you want to look at? I mean, I've got tons I want to look at, but I think we're going to save all of that for uh, part two of the episode. Okay, great stuff. Uh, Richard, thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate it. I know you've been on pretty much every podcast, show, interview writing for Goonhammer, everything. So uh, making time for this is fantastic. Thank yeah. you. Thanks so much for having me. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. TheArtOfWar40K.com